quick by way of reminder, we are in the middle of a uh, sermon series on 1 Thessalonians, and we are looking at the different themes in Thessalonians. We just wrapped up three sermons on one of the key hallmarks of faith, which was called faith. Next couple of Sundays, we're going to look at the next hallmark, which is love, and then we're going to look at hope. So faith, love, and hope. <laughs> and some right now in this room are going, love, really, again? <laughs> you know, haven't we talked about this already? Yes, we have talked about love already a little bit, but we've never talked about it from the book of Thessalonians before, and it does show up a couple of times in the Bible, doesn't it? And I gotta tell you, as I was preparing for this message, this one struck me in a, in a new and, and different way, and perhaps it'll speak to you as well. We're going to be focusing on chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, specifically 7 through 12. And I've got to tell you that it was verse 8 that really stopped me in my tracks and brought a lot of questions to mind. In verse 8, the Apostle Paul wrote, We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. We loved you so much. That, that word in the Greek does not appear anywhere else in the New Testament, but it does show up in Paul's culture at that time. And it's a word that has to do with an intense longing, a deep and strong desire in the heart of an individual. And it made me wonder, did Paul really love them that much? Or was he just being like hyperbolic, you know, just exaggerating to make a point? If he does love them like that, how did he get to that place? Do I love people like that? And do I need to get to that place too? Now Paul's love in verse 8 had practical expressions, two of them. He said, we loved you so much that we shared with you God's good news. Now the good news that he shared is far more than the simple message that Jesus came died on the cross for our sins so that as we place our faith and trust in him, his righteousness is transferred to us and we then gain eternal life beginning right now, a life that never ends. I mean, that's the simple starting point of the gospel, but the good news that God has is so much more than that. And Paul kind of summarizes it for, for them in verse 12, where he says that God has called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Wow, think about that for a little bit. He's called you to share in his kingdom and glory. There's so much there. And this is the kind of thing that Paul was sharing with them. He was unpacking for them. But his love didn't stop there with the good news. It says that Paul and his companions loved them so much that they also shared their very lives as well. They were willing to serve the Thessalonians. Scholar F.F. Bruce translates this, uh, this line this way. He said, we loved you so much that we are willing to put ourselves at your disposal without reservation. I told you, this verse just stopped me in my tracks. Made me wonder, wow, what does this mean for me? How did Paul get to this place? And we know that Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So Paul is following Christ's example, and if I'm supposed to follow Paul, how did Paul get to that place? How then do I get to that place? So Paul expressed his love for the Thessalonians in ministry and service. He shared with them the full gospel of God. He shared with them his very life as well. And so for the remainder of our time, let's just use the rest of this passage to unpack a little bit about what that love looked like and how we might be able 
to grow in that kind of love for one another too. Now verses one through six kind of address the opening questions that I had. You know, was Paul just exaggerating a little bit about how much he loved them? Uh, was he simply trying to flatter them a little bit, trying to win them over, trying to endear himself to them a little bit so that he might trick them into doing something that he wanted them to do? Verses one through six, Paul answers that quite adequately. And so I just commend that to you to read, like in the New Living Translation or something. If you want to see what I think about it, you can just pick up the blog. It'll be uh, uploaded on Wednesday with my sermon notes on that. Uh, so feel free to do that. But, but right now, verses one through six, Paul is simply saying that the love we displayed by the message we brought in the lives we lived was absolutely sincere. It was true. We do love you that much. And from there, Paul offers some examples of love I think that we can all understand. Um, and so what I want to do before we read those examples is just kind of warm our thoughts a little bit to help us climb into the pictures he's going to bring. All right? So there's going to be three different images I want us to think about. First of all, think about a newborn infant. Think about a baby one day old, one week old, floppy head, beautiful face, just came out of the bath, just beautiful, you know, hands doing this and cooing a little bit, you know. Think about that baby. And as you think about that infant, what sort of plan does that child have to trick you into doing something that they want? You know, there's no, there's no deceit or trickery in a child of that age. I mean, they just say it like it is, right? My diaper's full, help me, <laughs> you know? I'm hungry, my stomach hurts. They just tell it like it is. And in Paul's day, philosophers would say that infants were innocent of any wrongdoing because they were not yet able to be deceitfully self-seeking. At the same time, infants are gentle. They're not gonna hurt you, they're not gonna strike you across the cheek, you know? They're, they're not gonna pull something away from you, they're gentle with you. So with this image of a, of a truth-telling gentle infant in mind, let's move to the next image, which would be the image of the infant's mother. 2,000 years ago, moms did not have a lot of options for feeding a newborn. If the family had financial resources, they could hire a wet nurse, but apart from that option, really caring and feeding for a newborn child was mom's job to do. And a mother's love would compel her to meet the child's needs to get up multiple times during the night to provide food, care, and comfort, and, and, and caring for the child in that way, Paul's society, the general culture at large, viewed that part of motherhood and that part of being a nurse, a nursemaid in that sense, that part as being a wonderful picture of what gentleness looked like. And we know what that's like, those who have, have cared for little ones, you know? I think about whether, whether it was Ann nursing or me using a bottle, no matter what the time was, you could just, do you remember these words? Hey, buddy, can you find, oh, there you go. Oh, bubbles, yeah, look at you, look at you. Oh, you got a burp in there? What a mess, that a boy, yeah. <laughs> but gentleness, right? But that gentleness does not come alone. That gentleness is connected to great sacrifice. For night and day, mothers give of themselves. That newborn does not serve the mother. The mother serves the newborn. And even though the mother has complete authority over that newborn, the mother does not require anything from the newborn and does not put a burden on the newborn. Her sacrificial love and service flows from a sincere heart of love for her child. So, 
with the image of a truth-telling, harmless infant and an authoritative yet very gentle mother who is self-sacrificially serving. With these images in mind, listen to the Apostle Paul's words that he said to the Thessalonians, verse 7. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children, and that Greek word actually includes infants, and I think that's what Paul meant. We were like infants among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you night and day? We toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. You yourselves were our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. See, as an apostle of Christ, the apostle Paul carried all the authority he needed to bring God's good news to the people. But he chose, sorry, to bring God's good news to the people. But following Jesus' teaching, he did not lord that authority over others. Instead, he chose to imitate Christ by being gentle and sincere and sacrificial in the expression of his love. So Paul's now going to add the third image that we're familiar with, that of a father. Verse 11. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Now, while the public persona of a man in the Roman culture was one of dignity and sternness, the vast majority of testimonies about fatherhood showed the father's love and concern for his children. So speaking in broad generalities that reflect what that culture viewed the role of mother and father, this is what Paul was saying. He said, the mother expressed her love by caring for and cherishing the child in sacrificial ways, while the father showed his love through instruction, admonishment, and guidance. Paul's saying with the sweetness, the innocence, the gentleness of an infant, He expressed his love for them like their mother or like their father. And those images were important important for Paul. He talks about it in Galatians. He talks about it to the Corinthians. He's a mother. He's a father. He loves them dearly because it's through this example of service and love that he's able to express how he loves them in ministry and in service. Now, when I talk about that, ministry really has to do with Paul's desire to see them grow in their faith, to be healthy, to be established in Christ. That's, that's his desire. When he, Out of love, he wants to see them be able to be stand, strong and standing on their own. And, and to get a feeling for, for what kind of emotion that carries, we've we got to go back in time. Back in time to a time when some folks have no knowledge of this before cell phones. Some of us remember the days when making a long-distance phone call was a luxury because you waited till 11.01 p.m. because that's when the rates were cheapest, right? Yeah. Back in those days, when you sent your kids out or when you were separated from your children, you did not know how they were doing until they contacted you. 
You know, if your child was leaving the home to go set up a, a, a new life in Boston or something, they didn't have a phone number you could contact. You couldn't find my friends and see where they were. You couldn't do any of that. And so you had to wait until they contacted you or until a friend found them and let you know what was going on. And while you waited, you wondered, man, are they okay? Did they get the job? Do they have an apartment yet? Are they grounded? Are they established? Are they healthy? Are they well? Are they eating okay? These are the questions that are sparked by love. And then when the letter arrives or the phone call comes or whatever the information is that announces that your child's doing well, there's this amazing sense of relief, even to the point of new life. Yes! Oh, you know, there's like you open up into a whole new world at that point. Listen to what Paul said in the third chapter, all right? Thinking about parents. When I could stand it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. Are you doing okay? But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. So we have been greatly encouraged. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. See, Paul's love compelled him to minister to them. He was concerned about their faith. Are they doing okay? He wants to fill in the gaps of their faith so that they can be strong and standing on their own in Christ. But it wasn't just ministry. It was also service. He had the right as an apostle to receive financial support from them. But he chose not to exercise that right because he did not want anything to get in the way of the gospel being presented to them in clarity. He served them with a love that others could see through his words and his actions. And all this leaves me with the, the final questions that verse 8 brought to me. Do I love people the same way? Do I, do I care about Christians the same way? Do I care about the strength of their faith or their growth of their faith in the same way? And if not, how might I grow in that faith or grow in that love for their faith? I want to close by sharing two things. First of all, a path for how to serve others in a healthy way because service can just really tear us apart. And I want to close with a practice that helps us deepen our love for one another. First of all, the path. The first step in the path is to know yourself. The Apostle Paul said to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 3, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given you. So our true love, ministry, and service must first fit who we are in Christ. It's not going to go beyond where we are in faith. It's got to fit who we are. It's who God made us to be. It's where we are in our walk with Christ. Some are going to be a little bit further down the road than others. We just need to have a true evaluation of where we are in our faith. The second step is to use your gifts. Because the best place to begin loving others in service is to use what you already have. That's what, the, what Travis was saying earlier. If you've got some instrument, maybe it's 20 years old. Bro break it out. Let's try it again. You know, to take what you have and use it to build up and strengthen and love the people in the church. Paul continues just a few verses away on, on chapter 12. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophecy in accordance with your faith. 
If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So use your gifts. Love others by sharing what you have received from God with those around you. Third, ask the Father. You see, when the need becomes the master, the servant becomes the slave. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are servants to the king, not slaves to the need we see. Mark chapter 1 is a fascinating uh, little story of Jesus early on in his ministry. He was uh, healing people and caring for people and casting out demons and huge crowd had come and, and it was with him and he dispersed the crowd for the night. He went to bed and then the next day, early morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. And while he was gone, the crowd came to the door and couldn't find Jesus. The disciples woke up, couldn't find Jesus. So they spread out to look for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And if I could like read between the lines, they're saying, what are you doing here? Get over there. That's where the people are. That's what they're thinking, I think. And Jesus said, yeah, we've got other places to go. Other towns and villages to go to, to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom. He had been with the Father. And so he was able to see the need and say, not that one. We're going over here. Because when the need becomes the master, the servant becomes the slave. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are servants of the king, not slaves to the need. So when it comes to expressing love through ministry and service, always remember to ask the Father, because he's not going to burn you out. The need will. They don't, it doesn't, the need doesn't care, but the Father does care about you. Fourth, check your motive. 1 Corinthians 13 is a marvelous passage that says that if you do something, if I do something that is not based on love, we can say or do something that's not based on love, it, it doesn't really fulfill the purpose God had, had intended for it. So check your motives. Are you doing what you're going to do out of love? Even just a little bit? Or is it like obligation or compulsion? Everyone else is doing it. You know, if, 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 if love is not in there somewhere, I encourage you to just not do it and take it to the Father and say, why am I not feeling love at this point? He'll, he'll tell you. He'll show you. And finally, step out. In John 20, 21, Jesus told his disciples, and I think he means us as well, okay, not just the original 12, but everybody who comes to faith through their ministry. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus was sent in love to express that love through ministry and service. And we are to follow his example. So, based on the faith we have, using the gifts we have received, asking the Father for guidance, checking our motive to make sure it's connected to love, step out in faith, knowing that God is sending you to be his representative in the world around you. That's the path to follow for healthy service and ministry with others. Here's the practice I want to share for how we can grow in a deepening love for others. And you've probably already picked this up because, I mean, th th this path is found in the context of prayer because prayer is the place where we, where we draw near to the Father, where we learn from the Father. He, he tells us things through his word. Prayer is just so essential in that sense. But it's also essential for how we grow in a deepening love for those we're praying for. 
And based on the number of times Paul talks about prayer in all of his letters, even in this short letter of Thessalonians, it's clear that Paul was praying regularly. I mean, short letter, here we go, in, in Thessalonians. Paul said, we pray for you constantly. That's not hyperbole. He's constantly, got, he's praying for them. We never stop thanking God for the way you responded to the gospel. Here's another one. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you. That's the father's love. That's the mother's love coming through. Are they doing okay? I'm praying for them. God uses prayer to deepen our love for the people we pray for. You might remember this prayer from last week that, um, uh, that Brentley had us pray for the person on our left and the person on our right. It comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And at that time, he had us pray for one another. But this really is a prayer. This is the kind of prayer that Paul would pray for people. This is the prayer he prayed for the Philippians. I think he prayed for the Thessalonians and the Ephesians and everybody else. While it's okay and good to pray for someone's health or someone's job or someone's uh, re healed relationship or uh, whatever the specific request is, it's vitally important that we remember to pray for their faith as well because that changes us and it changes them. So as we close out today, I'd like to ask you to join with me in doing something. Would you commit or design or desire or show yourself to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray for one person a couple of times this week. So after the service, as we linger a little bit, just you know, as you're reading the name tags, just grab somebody's name tag in your mind and plunk it in your phone in a pop-up reminder <laughs> and uh, have it pop up uh, a couple of times in the coming week and just pray for them. And what you'll pray for them is something that is from the scriptures. You might pray for uh, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. That's a classic one there. Anything in Ephesians 1 is great. There's even a wonderful prayer in Ephesians 1 that Paul prays. It's different than that one. Um, oh, there's a lot of good material in Thessal 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Go ahead, find a prayer, and then offer that prayer for that person just a couple of times this week. Now, if you're at a place in your faith where you feel okay doing this, as you find somebody that you say, the Lord says, yeah, I want to pray for that person, or you just decide to pray for that person, would you also ask that person for a specific prayer request? And if your faith allows you to do it, if you're comfortable doing it, even take the time to pray that, that, that request for them today before you part company, and then continue to pray for that person throughout the week. So find somebody to pray, get somebody's name and pray for them throughout the week, or get someone's name and prayer request and pray for them throughout the week, or get somebody's name and prayer request and pray for them today and then pray for them throughout the week using a prayer that you gain from the scriptures. It gets you into the word a little bit and saying, Lord, how can I be praying for this person, this person's faith? Maybe it's from the first chapter of Ephesians or Philippians, or maybe it's from the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Would you join me in doing that? Let's see what happens. And let's see what happens to our love for one another as we begin to care about each other's faith and how we grow well in that. For as we do, we will be changed and God will bring a blessing to others. Would you please close with me in prayer? Lord, Paul's words and examples challenge us in this day. I mean, wow. I kind of love, I, I, I don't know if I've ever felt that for someone outside of my family, but I know you want me to. He loved them so deeply 
he, he joyfully gave of what he had and who he was for their benefit. It, and it's a scary request, Lord, but would you grow that kind of love for one another in our own lives too, please? Like your disciples so many years ago, we ask you to teach us to pray, to pray in a way that fills up gaps in one another's faith, to pray in a way that leads us to, to a deepened love for each other. May this week of prayer start the ball rolling that we might follow Paul's example of constant, earnest prayer for one another. Fill in those faith gaps, Lord, those, those gaps that exist in our own lives so that we might become more like you, more like you. In Christ's name, amen.